0: Thank you for joining us for the sermon podcast of Northwest Presbyterian Church in Dublin, Ohio. Our church exists to celebrate the gospel through Christ-centered study, worship, and prayer, to connect in community through fellowship, accountability, shepherding, and outreach, and to love our city through sacrificial giving of time, treasure, and talents. So that it might flourish as a place where Jesus is known. For service times and more information about our church, visit npcdublin.org. And now, Pastor Dave Shooter. So Advent, our annual season of looking backwards to the coming of Jesus the King the first time, and also are looking forward to his return reminds us that here on this particular day, in this particular year, we are men and women, girls and boys, who live between the times. We live between the king's first coming and his second coming. And as we contemplate all that he achieved during his earthly ministry... Uh, that brings to us the hope of salvation, Uh, I want us particularly to remember this morning that physical wholeness is also part of the salvation which the Lord promises. Uh, And in order to drive the point home, I'd like to invite each of us, and I'll certainly include myself in this, uh, to think about a place in life where physical brokenness impacts us most deeply. Uh, It might be a pressing uh, personal health challenge, or it might be a loved one's health challenge. Uh, It might be the impact of a health challenge that you carry with you in life. It might be on this particular Sunday that you are occupying that strange place uh, between a doctor's exam or a test and getting the results. That's a weird space to live, isn't it? Kind of in between the news. You might find yourself there. There. And in a congregation this size, it's statistically likely that at least several here will understand very personally uh, the pain of infertility which Elizabeth herself felt. Uh, Certainly Zachariah felt it alongside of her, but it is Elizabeth who has her soul laid bare in the gospel account describing this lifelong challenge as her reproach among people. And my goal this morning uh, is to connect our longing for physical wholeness to our hopeful waiting for the second coming of the King, uh, for the second coming of Jesus. Because woven into Luke's report of Jesus' first coming is this glimpse of Uh, in the life of one family, and even more specifically in the life of one woman, Elizabeth, uh, the glimpse that when God's king comes to bring salvation, the salvation that he comes to bring is complete and entire, Uh, that it is holistic, that that encompasses our spiritual salvation, the forgiveness of sin, uh, adoption into God's family, uh, the, the sanctifying of our spirits, but it also holds out to a hope in physical brokenness as well. And I think that there are a few areas of life, uh, the connection of physical brokenness and Jesus's work that feel not only more urgent, but more persistent, I think. Um, I think over the past quarter century of pastoring, I would estimate 80% of the prayer requests that I receive have to do with health challenges. By far, the majority have to do with health challenges. And if you're on the NPC prayer chain, you know that's true. Uh, You you know that the emails that come through deal with health challenges. That would be followed by relationship challenges, parenting, marriage, dating, friend challenges. And then actually somewhere down the list, a very small percentage of prayer requests actually uh, dealing with kind of distinctively spiritual challenges like Uh, battling a temptation or needing to have the gospel applied specifically to uh, an area of sin and repentance, uh, etc. I think there's a whole different point to be made there, not in terms of criticism, uh, but in terms of helpfulness. I think our souls will be healthier if those percentages balanced out a little bit more. But why do we focus so much on health challenges? How would you answer that question? Because I, I don't think that it's wrong that we would receive that percentage of prayer requests. How would you answer that question? Lots of correct answers. We hate watching loved ones suffer. Uh, We we don't like suffering ourselves, obviously. Uh, The ripple effects of health challenges, the emotional and economic impact, the relational impact, time with family and friends lost, uh, potential uh, of use of gifts not able to be fully employed, that these are great. And I I think actually what happens is we experience so much of the impact of living as broken people in a sin-impacted world. We experience so much of that impact in our bodies that that in many ways our, our bodies are the first place where we feel the impact of uh, the original fall into sin and all of the trickle down ramifications of that. If you could walk it all the way back to Genesis one and God's hopeful command to humanity to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that is, that moves on the earth, if, if you could walk it back to that hopeful moment and. Understand that in that original mandate to humanity is an amazing potential for all that humans are designed to do in our physicality as body, soul, people. That God created us to have entirely healthy bodies in which uh, entirely healthy souls are walking around taking care of this wonderful world that He created on His behalf for his glory, but also for our enjoyment. Uh, That that, that was the original design. And then it is not very many words later in chapter 3 after Eve and Adam fall into sin and God comes with his word of judgment. He says in verse 19 of chapter 3, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust shall you return. In that statement is in seed form the full spectrum of maladies, physical, emotional, whatever other category you want to put in there, every malady that will plague us by which we return to the dust. And so illness happens, physical brokenness happens, and part of what we are encountering in our bodies is an impact of living in a a broken world. And the story of Elizabeth holds out a word of hope to all of us in this regard. So for the place where you feel the impact of physical brokenness, the king of Advent, the king of whose return we look forward to promises to remove the reproach of brokenness, to restore wholeness, and to redeem our bodies for purpose. And all this is encompassed in the story of Elizabeth, that there is a king who will remove reproach. Uh, Kim and I had a little bit of a debate. It wasn't really a fight yesterday, um, It wasn't a fight at all. It was a conversation. She said, you should tell some of your story of wrestling through this. And I said, I don't want to tell my story of wrestling through this. She said, you should tell your story. And I said, I don't want to tell my story uh, because... Uh, the, the, the pulpit is for talking about Jesus, not not about me. But she said, no, I think it would be helpful. And and generally, Kim is right about these things. And so I'll share a little bit about my story uh, of, of just kind of, particularly from 2018 onward, walking through physical brokenness as a cancer patient. And without getting into all of the details of that, uh, what I would share... Uh, is particularly in the first year, 2018 to 2019, the weird emotional experience of that year. There was a a lot going on, but but particularly the feeling of disorientation and embarrassment uh, in this. And I, I don't know if you can understand or relate to this, but during that first year, Uh, as oncologists and specialists and lab events filled so much of my life, uh, I would go to the lab and I would get super nervous, not about the procedure, but I would get super nervous that someone that I knew was going to be there. Uh, I felt a little bit like an imposter almost, that if I bumped into one of you there, uh, I'd have to explain myself. Uh, and part of, as if, as if you would want to be there, right? And I was crashing your party, uh, you know? <laughs> I'm not saying that this is rational. I'm saying that this is what was. And, and I, I would feel this disorientation because uh, from 2017 to 2018, I felt like I was at my healthiest as an adult. I, I lost a ton of weight. And people would say nice things, like, you look good. It was really the first time in my life that I ever heard that. I'm like, you know, apart from like my mom and dad and family members, you know, I was always the chubby kid. And, and so I, I'd never heard that. And people would say nice things like, you look good. And I was having a lot of success riding my bike. I thought about going pro. Probably a little bit late at age 48, but you can dream. Uh, and I, I didn't know that part of why I was losing so much weight is because my body wasn't working. And what had been a, a, a happy thing was now a sad thing. And I had this experience of, of feeling embarrassed that my body was letting me down. And I mean, we live in a culture that prizes the young and the beautiful and the athletic. And all of a sudden, I, was, I certainly wasn't young. Beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Uh, and, uh, and certainly not athletic either. I I felt other. I felt like an outsider. I felt less than. And that feeling of other or outsider or less than, that's what the word reproach means. And so I, I share that because it helps us understand a little bit about where Elizabeth is at. When she learns that she's pregnant, she honors the Lord that she had followed her whole life. And she said, the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. And reproach is a specific word that describes disgrace in comparison to others. Uh, it describes less thanness, or a loss of standing in a community and what's very interesting, especially if you're very familiar with the story of, of Luke 1 and Zachariah and Elizabeth, is that Luke, the gospel writer, uh, takes a lot of pain to report the blamelessness of Zechariah and Elizabeth. He, he, we looked at this last week, but he goes to a great level of detail to show us that Zachariah and Elizabeth were men and women with great reputations in their community, uh, that they were well-regarded that they had a strong standing, that Elizabeth's inability to have children was not a sign of God's displeasure with her. That, that Luke does all that he can do, <laughs> using words, to say that this was not her fault. And it is a sad reality of living in a broken world. Nevertheless, she felt reproach. Nevertheless, she felt disgrace. And I, I just wonder, I mean, there's no way that you could prove this, but uh, I, I wonder, given her reputation, which was good, and her friend's celebration with her when John is born, which is great, we read in chapter 158, her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. So, so they're excited when she's pregnant, I wonder if Elizabeth's experience and feeling of reproach is as much personal, or self-imposed, or self-generated, a self-generated feeling of loss and otherness than it is from anyone else. And here's why I, I think that might be right. That Elizabeth's praise... The Lord has done for me in the days when He looked on me to take away my reproach among people, that it actually mirrors the praise of Old Testament mom Rachel. So here's where you have to do a little Bible connecting. Do you remember the story of Rachel? Uh, uh, Let me give you the bullets in case it's new to you. Um, So Jacob fell in love with Rachel and he wanted to marry Rachel, and Rachel's dad said, You can marry her. But then, and I'm not exactly sure how this happens, uh, on the day when they go to get married, a little switcheroo happens. And that's the Bible word for it, switcheroo. And Jacob ends up marrying Rachel's sister, Leah. And, uh, and hey, surprise. And, uh, and so Jacob, Jacob's now father-in-law says, we're going to make this right. You just have to work for me another seven years. And, uh, and you can also marry Rachel. But Leah is able to have children. And Rachel is not able to have children. And in the story, which you can go back and read in Genesis 31, uh, Rachel uh, finally is able uh, to become pregnant. But, but before she's able to become pregnant, we read this. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. Envy is this inside out emotion, resentment, discontentment because of someone else's better fortune. And then when she's able to have a child, she says, God has taken away my reproach. And she called him Joseph. And so I just would suggest to us that this feeling of reproach maps on to the envy that she felt, not because she was being kind of castigated or put down by anyone else, but that she just herself felt less than. She just herself felt like she wasn't quite whole. She wasn't quite living the way that God had created her to be. Christopher Ash is a pastor in England, and he expands on Elizabeth's experience of child and reproach to remind us that her unique pain of infertility highlights in a powerful way that all physical brokenness reminds us that life is not the way it's supposed to be. All physical brokenness reminds us that life is not the way that it is supposed to be. Here, here is his quote. I'll have to make one careful reading here where he says, there is a sense in which their childlessness is a dis hyphen grace, not a disgrace, but a dis hyphen grace, that that it is a, a, a mark, a vivid example of the misery of living in a world under sin and the righteousness of God. And he goes on and he says, every sickness, every sadness, every disability is in this sense, visible evidence that we live in a world under the righteous judgment of God. Not that these things are our fault. We need to be clear about that. Not that these things are our fault, but that we live in a world where life is not the way that it is supposed to be. But, and here's the good news, God in promising a king to come and to defeat evil, promises in in the totality of that blessing to deal with all of the areas of brokenness which are not the way that they're supposed to be. And so Elizabeth highlights the Lord's special direct work in her life. She says, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me. But but what should we make uh, for every Rachel and Elizabeth in Scripture where God breaks through and does an amazing thing? What should we do for uh, surely all of the unreported, unnamed wives and husbands who must also have prayed for miracles and didn't experience them. Well, I think first of all, we need to understand that God is using Elizabeth to play a specific role in redemptive history, a specific role in the sending of his king to save his people. And so it would be unhelpful, unkind, and inaccurate to suggest that Elizabeth's experience creates a paradigm for all godly women, But more helpful, I think, are parallels to the lessons that we learn by Jesus' miraculous healings. Uh, If you think through the gospel stories, that most of the sick people living in Israel during Jesus' lifetime were not healed by Jesus. That that the stories of healings that we read, those miraculous instances uh, where Jesus did heal people, serve the exact same purpose as Elizabeth's pregnancy, which is to point to Jesus. To, to identify him as the king who has come to save, as the king who has come to restore wholeness for all of God's people who will replace uh, spiritual brokenness with forgiveness and physical brokenness with health and will undo all of our feelings of less thanness. That he will undo all of these feelings. So that would take us to uh, the second point, that that the king who will come to remove reproach will also be the king who will restore wholeness. It's interesting in the Old Testament that this removal of reproach is one way that God describes the coming salvation of his people. In Isaiah 25, we read this. Listen for the word. Uh, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. In other words, there is going to be this, this great moment of salvation That will be for the whole world to access when the king comes and saves. And it will be said, verse 9 of Isaiah 25, on that day, Behold, this is our God. We've waited for him that he might save us. This is Yahweh. We've waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So so this moment of salvation uh, will be unlike any party that has ever been thrown, uh, unlike any feast which has ever been had, uh, unlike any uh, moment of healing which has ever been, uh, and one of the things that will be taken away is this feeling of less than this, of other than, of not belonging to life. And this reality of death Because of God's curse on sin, which is everywhere present, a veil over the nations, it's not escapable, this feeling of less than this that uh, can haunt us all probably, the Lord promises to solve that. Joy and not reproach is the future of his people. Gladness is the future of his people. What the Lord did for Elizabeth in a moment is what God will do for all of his people when salvation comes in all of its fullness. And God is going to do this through his king. Here's just I mean, it's just one example from the Gospels to bear this out, that after healing a paralyzed servant of a Roman soldier, we read in Matthew 8, Jesus entered Peter's house. He saw Peter's mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with the word and all, healed all who were sick. So there was one day in Capernaum where no one was sick. I mean, all, all of the doctors and nurses and techs here are like, yeah. Like there was one day in Capernaum where they called and so you don't have to come in today. There's not any sick people. One day. But the one day when no one was sick in Capernaum points to the every day that will happen when the king comes back. I mean, I I don't know what my friends, the doctors are going to do in heaven. (laughs) Probably whatever you want. (laughs) That glorifies God. Because Jesus has come, as it was said through the prophet Isaiah, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. And Jesus' healings, which identify him as God's servant to deal comprehensively with our sin and brokenness, uh, remind us just in the very uh, next verse in Isaiah, uh, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Next verse, here's how. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. The, The king's cross removes the veil of death. The the king's cross by which he suffers certainly deals with the spiritual reality of sin and estrangement from God, but but it also will deal with all of the physical brokenness of life as well. And it's interesting that Isaiah 53 is followed by Isaiah 54, which is what you'd expect. But Isaiah 54 starts this way. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the, child, the children of the desolate, one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth, he is called. That the the, the Lord has a day where every impact of sin will be dealt with. And, And these prophetic pictures, wholeness, pictured as a barren woman having children, God's removal of shame and reproach, they describe Elizabeth's experience, don't they? That's what she's experiencing in real time. But her experience is an in-breaking of what will be the experience of all of God's people. Death swallowed up, the wiping away of tears, the removal of the less thanness that we feel, not only in the final instance of death, uh, but in all of the degradations that we experience along the way. Isaac Watts captured this in the Christmas hymn, right? That, that probably we will sing. Paul's taking notes here. Which one are we going to sing? <laughs> Joy to the world, right? Particularly the third verse. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessing flow far as the curse is found. Uh, And the farness of where the curse is found is not only geographically far, though it is geographically far, because uh, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will worship the Lord. So as far as the curse is found geographically and historically, they will worship the king. But also, I would say, as far as the curse is found interiorly, if that's a word, the brokenness inside of us. Far as the curse is found in here. Far as the curse is found where the, the cells aren't working or they're working too much. Today we live in between the victory which the servant won at the cross and the full experience of it. We're in this moment of waiting. And so, because it's Advent, we remember as we wait the king who will thoroughly redeem our bodies for purpose. The joy that breaks into Elizabeth's experience foreshadows the joy that will be every Christian's experience. Because the king, who Elizabeth's son points, who don't you love, that John the Baptist is pointing to Jesus from before his birth. He's working as a prophet, even before his delivery. That that king has secured all that is needed for our complete salvation. That, that there's nothing more that he needs to do, but return. Return and put all things right. So from Advent to Advent, from diagnosis through treatment, whether we experience more or less healing now, or no healing yet, Advent is a time for us to name our longing for physical wholeness, but to name it in faith, which is what the Apostle Paul does for us in Romans 8. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together, as in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. Note the next verses, words: the redemption of our bodies. That salvation includes the redemption of your physicality. We looked at this in the Apostles' Creed series. Uh, You have a forever soul, which is if you believe in Christ right now forgiven and will endure forever with the Lord, but you will also receive a resurrection body. And that's what we wait for. For in this hope, Paul says, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so here are just kind of four practical applications I came up with or stole from commentators. First, name your longings. Even for physical wholeness, when we so Ray Ortland puts it this way: When you groan inwardly and long to be made whole forever, there's nothing wrong with you. When your heart is aching to be rid of sin and frailty, that's not because your Christian life isn't working, but because it is working end quote. That that, that the longing that you have to be whole in a whole body, the longing that you have for your Christian loved one to be whole in a whole body, even when it goes unmet, it doesn't mean that you're not believing. It's proof that you are believing, Mm -hmm. that that you're waiting for the king to return, that you're waiting for the redemption of your body. So name your longings. Keep sending in those prayer requests for healing. Mm -hmm. But place those longings into uh, perspective. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So so here's my encouragement. In your small group, in your Sunday school class, uh, in your men's or women's group, or when you send in the prayer requests, send in all the prayer requests for healing, and, and we will pray for them. But also redeem all those prayer requests for healing. Because because you can use those for, you can leverage those for spiritual maturity, so to speak. Because you send in your prayer requests for healing, and you might encounter some healing. You might encounter some relief. That's what we pray for. We pray in faith for that. And and sometimes that happens. Sometimes people say, The most amazing thing happened. The the doctor, I, I sent in the prayer, and the doctor did the scan, and they're like, Well, we didn't see anything. That's amazing. That happens. But sometimes it doesn't happen. So what do you do then? Well, you wait in patience. You put it into longer perspective. I put it into longer perspective. Pray for the spiritual maturity that can result from the experience. Because Advent means that the king who has come is coming back. To answer all of these prayers for all of these challenges with yes. But yes on his timeline. And this timeline includes a certain return and a certain future rule. And it might be at that return that we experience the yes. So keep praying and cultivating patience. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. So we mature as patience is cultivated. Thirdly, leverage your patient waiting for kingdom conversations. Hopeful conversations. Here's why. I mean, as as we go forward and as we interact with friends, neighbors, family members, one thing is true. Physical brokenness is going to impact all of us. All of us. I mean, you might be the the picture of physical fitness today. and Praise the Lord for that. Enjoy it. But entropy (laughs) and genetics and life in a fallen world All of the things, until Jesus returns, these bodies are going to wear out. And they're going to hurt. And they're going to malfunction. And sometimes we're going to get treated. And sometimes the treatments are going to work. And sometimes they're going to wear out. All the time they're going to wear out. So what do we do? Well, we'll leverage the patient waiting for kingdom conversations. Because this physical brokenness is going to impact uh, your neighbors who are not yet Christians too, understand their longings. What are they longing for? Well, they're longing, what we're, they're longing for what we're longing for. They're longing to be a whole. Right there is an entry into a gospel conversation. Can I, can I tell you a story? That, that no matter the skill of your medical team, And may they be greatly skilled, and may your pain be alleviated, and may you have many more prosperous and successful years, because that's what we want for people, that's what we pray for, but in the event that that doesn't happen, or or even in the event, especially in the event, because someday it definitely won't happen. Can I tell you about a king who's come to really heal, to really bring wholeness, not in an either-or, but in a both-and kind of way, right? Because Any kind of healing that we experience now will always only ultimately be temporary. So share the reason for the hope that you have. And then finally, anticipatorially. Just invent words right and left here. It's great. (laughs) New bodies on a renewed earth with renewed purpose. One of the things that it just makes me sad when I go into these clinics and I sit in the line to get my blood drawn, and I'm down the hall from the infusion clinic. And, you know, it's, it's not great. But I, I, I look at all the, the people made in God's image. And I think the, the, look, at, look at all of this potential. Look at all this potential. And and the brokenness impacts the potential, right? But one day in this Romans eight moment, redeemed bodies for renewed purpose. The the, the future is physical. Eternity is not a disembodied existence. I mean, this is where the cartoons have misinformed our theology. There is a, an unnatural separation of body and soul when we die physically now. But, but the ultimate future uh, that is plain in the New Testament is for resurrected believers to have forever new bodies and forever new souls and to live on a renewed earth. Which is just to say that, that, that all of the loss that we might feel in lost potential uh, is, is not the end of the story. It's just chapter 1. Chapter 2, we can't even imagine what that would be when our souls go to worship Jesus. But chapter 3, what's that going to be like to have a resurrected body and a forever soul living into the complete capacities that you've been created for without without any more negative physical impact? And you're going to be able to go for a run on the new earth and you're never going to pull a hamstring. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> and that's just a silly illustration. What would it be to have a, a renewed mind, not impacted by depression, not impacted by discouragement, not a, a body not impacted by limitations, not wearing out? What will it be like? Well, we get a glimpse because we see Jesus resurrected in his return, we just get a small glimpse. But mostly Paul says we wait for what we do not see. That's Advent. That's what we do. We wait for what we do not see, but we wait hopefully. And Elizabeth's story points us to that. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon podcast. Subscribe to our podcast, and for more information about our church, our values, mission and ministries, visit npcdublin.org.